welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. I hope you do. We will be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Daniel chapter 6, if you like to read all of our scripture, will also be in Matthew chapter 6, so you can turn there as well. Um, I've got a lot of opinions. I don't know if everybody likes opinions, but I've got a lot of them, and this is my opinion. Uh, Arkansas weather needs a therapist. Uh, Arkansas weather has some commitment issues, like, like one day it's summer, the next day it's spring, then it's winter again. Like Arkansas weather can't make up its mind. I think, I think Arkansas weather needs some help. It's supposed to snow Tuesday. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Oh, clapping for snow. Okay. That's all right. I'm good with that. Uh, last Tuesday, it was like 70 degrees, and I was sitting on the back porch in pajama pants and a t-shirt. That just doesn't make sense to me. Snow one week and like 70 degrees the week before that. Uh, but I know it's January, so I know that if you get nice weather, you consider that a blessing, go outside and enjoy it. So I went outside and I was sitting on the back deck and I had Oakley with me that day and she was out there with me as well. Now, Oakley has in our backyard a, a green ball about this size and we're sitting out there on the back deck and I was actually working on this sermon and she starts playing with that ball. Now, I've seen this movie before. What's about to happen is that ball is going to go flying across the yard and this little barefooted toddler is going to go out there, get all muddy, and then I'm going to be in trouble when mama gets home. So I said, sweetie, we need, we need to go put some shoes on. We got to go put some shoes on. And she's arguing with me. It's like, if you put shoes on, you can go play in all of the yard. And she's like, okay. So as we go in, she turns around and she looks at me and she goes, uh, no, I'll do it. I said, I bet you will. Sweetie, you can do it. You can pick the shoes. Daddy's just going to help you a little bit. And she goes, no, no, I'll do it. And by this time, she's physically doing this number. I'm being, no, go back to the porch. No, 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 no. And I'm finally like, okay, all right, fine. You go find your shoes. You see if you can do that by yourself. And I, I went and sat down and I continued to work on this message and was sitting there. And about two minutes later, what happened? Daddy, I can't find them. <laughs> And I was like, you don't say you can't find them. So I went and helped her get her shoes. And I was thinking about that as I was sitting here preparing this message. I was like, how many times have I done that to God? How many times do we do that to God? God, God gives us a tool or God offers us some help. And we're like, no, 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 no. Stay on the porch. I'll do it. I'll do it. And we fail to use the tools that God gives us to assist us to call on his power or whatever it is. We fail to do the things that God, or fail to use the tools that God gives us to grow in our spiritual life. If you were with us last week, we, we started a new series where we're talking about what does it practically mean to be a disciple? Like that's a churchy word, but what does it mean practically day to day? What does it look like in your life and my life day to day to be a disciple? And what we learned is that a disciple is someone who mimics his rabbi or his teacher, and then goes out and makes disciples. And you and I are disciples who are made by disciples, who are made by disciples, who are made by disciples of, of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at practically what are the habits of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And last week, one of the tools that we looked at that we failed to use is engaging God's word. Uh, this week, habit number two, if you take notes, this is your take-home truths. Habit number two is praying constantly, a habit of a disciple. See, prayer is a gift that God gives us. Prayer is a way that we communicate with God and it begins to build our relationship with Him. It is a tool in which we grow spiritually when we use it. It is a tool in which we can call on the power of God for every situation that we may find ourselves in. And if we do prayer right, prayer is humbling and keeps us in the right heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. 
So what we're going to do today is I want to look at maybe my favorite example in the whole Bible of prayer, a man named da uh, Daniel. Now you guys know Daniel because you went to Sunday school, right? You know Daniel, he gets thrown in the lion's den, there's an angel shows up, he spends the night in there, they come and get him out, he pets the lions, that's not in the Bible, I made that up. He pets the lions and he pops right back out. You, you know Daniel. Daniel was an amazing man. And if you look at his whole story, it goes even deeper, even maybe perhaps more amazing than just the story of the lion's den. You see, Daniel goes from being basically a slave to number two in the kingdom of Babylon. He's the advisor to do two different kings, two pagan kings, who end up praising God because of the example of Daniel. Now, to be fair, Daniel is not a disciple in the sense that we're talking about today, but he's a great example of somebody who commits their life to God. And one of the things we see with Daniel that I, I think is important about him is his commitment to prayer. And I think we can learn a lot about the importance of prayer through Daniel. So if you've got your Bibles with you, this is Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. So it pleased Darius, Darius at this time is the king of Babylon, to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents of who Daniel was first. So here's what you've got going on in the scripture. You've got the king uh, has decided he is going to set up a government system where he's going to have 120, what I would uh, kind of look like, like at, um, in America, kind of like governors. And, and over these governors, he's going to have three vice presidents, one of those presidents in the top one being Daniel, um, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents of princes fought, uh, sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for us so much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus to the king, Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Keep your Bible open. We're going to come back there in just a second. So this introduces us to Daniel. He's, the whole book's about him, but for this morning, introduces us to Daniel. And it gives us a bit of a character review of who Daniel is, this, this man that this story centers on. And the first thing it says about Daniel is Daniel had with him in him an excellent spirit. There was something about him. It wasn't just normal. It wasn't just good. There was something about who he was that exuded a spirit of excellence. Secondly, it tells us that they looked and they could find no occasion of fault in him. Well, what that says about Daniel is Daniel, as far as leading in government and working, they could find nothing that he had ever messed up in. They couldn't find any mistresses. They couldn't find any bad tweets that he had put out. They couldn't find a time when he had stolen money. They could find nothing about him which they could say, look here, he's broken, he messed up. And so after that, they turned to him and says, well, if he's not doing something, there must be something wrong with him. But it says that they could find no fault in him. So let me just put it this way. He had an excellent spirit. He never messed up and there was nothing wrong with him. Can you imagine if that was your resume? Like you're applying for a job. Why should we hire you? I have an excellent spirit. I never mess up and I'm perfect. Like, like forget references. That's all you need. And that's the resume that the Bible gives us for Daniel here. But we know one more thing about Daniel that I think explains those first three character traits is that Daniel 
was diligent in prayer. And we know this because these people who hated Daniel, who were trying to find a way to get rid of him, when they said, how are we going to get rid of him? They said, we can get rid of Daniel by using his prayers against him. So they're going to trap him with prayer. So here's your next take home truth. Prayer was such a big part of Daniel's life that his prayer life was common knowledge. Daniel was the kind of man that served God in such a way, not that he was boisterous about it and said, look at me, I'm praying, look at how good I am. People knew about him that part of his life, part of his daily routine, something very important to him is prayer. And not only did they know that he prayed, point B is they knew that um, prayer was such a big part of Daniel's life that his enemies believed he would not stop. And if you look at this particular story, what you see with Daniel is they look at him and they say, if we can just get a law passed for 30 days, there's no way Daniel makes it 30 days without praying. Got some problems with the screens here. It'll get up here in a minute, guys. So, so they put a threat on Daniel's life. If you pray, you will die. Imagine what in your life is so precious to you that somebody could use it against you under threat of death and you would still do that. Family, kids. I can tell you, for me, there's not a lot of spiritual things that I, I, I think people would look at me and say, if we try to take that spiritual thing away from Brian under threat of death, he won't give it up. But these people believe that about Daniel, that he would not give it up. So what did Daniel do? Read with me in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so Daniel knew this was a law. He knew the punishment for it. He went into his house and his windows being open, he wasn't hiding in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So point C, if you're taking notes, prayer was such a big part of Daniel's life that it was a habit. So you see what Daniel is showing us here is a lifestyle that relates to his character traits. I'm going to argue that there is a correlation between Daniel's prayer life and that resume that we have earlier in the scripture. That Daniel being a man who prays shapes him as a person. An Arkansas football coach once said this. He said, winning is a result of doing the same thing over and over again. Your traits will be established by your habits. That football coach was Chad Moore, so I'm not sure if he knew what he was talking about. But anyway, that's, that's what it was once said. And I agree with that. Your habits are going to determine the traits that are in you. And for us as disciples, I hope that prayer is a habit for us because it will determine the traits of us as a disciple. And I love the story of Daniel, but I think we need to compare that to us. Daniel was willing to pray under threat of death. Nothing stops my prayer life. Nothing stops my connection with God. Kill me if you want to, but I will not give that up. And here you and I living in the United States of America, we have the freedom to pray at any time in any circumstance that we want. And why do we neglect it? Daniel's willing to die to pray. We have the freedom to do that. And yet for some reason, it's not a part of our life. Why is that? And I think the truth is, is that we have some misconceptions about what prayer is and how to use prayer that keep us from understanding how to use it correct, correctly or why we should pray. So I want to I address a few common misconceptions that we have about prayer and, then, and I want to correct those with the scripture. So misconception number one on your take-home truths is that prayer is unimportant. 
Sometimes we believe that prayer is unimportant. And you're like, well, Brian, we're Christians. Nobody would ever say that prayer is unimportant. And you're right, verbally, nobody has ever said that to me. But we communicate that sometimes with our actions. Like, I believe that it's important for me to pay my house payment every single month on the first of the month. I believe that's important for my credit score. I believe that's important because I don't want to get kicked out of my house and come, like, barge into y'all's house with my family. So what do I do? That belief causes me to be active. I am very diligent to make sure my house payment is paid on time every single month. And so if we truly believe that prayer is important, that will be modeled in our actions, but a lot of times what our actions say is, well, prayer's not needed right now, or I'm too busy right now for prayer. I don't have time for a prayer life. But to correct this, if you look in the scripture, scripture makes it very clear that prayer is not just, not just important. It is a part of a lifestyle of a believer. Jesus modeled prayer for us. I'm so convicted by every story that we have about Jesus Christ because of what John said. John said, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, the world could not contain the books, and yet we only have four books. That tells me that everything that made it into those four books is so important. Every little detail is so important about Jesus. And 25 times the Bible records Jesus praying. He, he prayed as a matter of daily habit. He, he prayed before miracles. He prayed before meals. He prayed after miracles. Jesus was constantly praying. He models that for us, that there is a need for prayer. You see that in the book of Acts with the disciples as well. After Jesus leaves, in the book of Acts, 32 times it records Jesus' disciples praying. They, they pray in times of distress. They pray, they're praying right before Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. They pray for protection. They pray for missions. They're praying for sinners to come to Christ. They pray before they make big decisions. They pray in times of crisis. They pray before they leave each other. It is a habit of disciples that is modeled for us in Scripture. So the correction of this misconception that prayer is unimportant, the correction is, is that prayer is modeled as a disciple's habit. And I would say, frankly, and I don't mean to be mean, but frankly, it's unintelligent not to see prayer as an important part of our spiritual life. Because the men who walked literally foot by foot with Jesus Christ made this a priority in their life. They saw it as a need. They saw it as an important thing. These people who had literally physically touched Jesus Christ saw it as a need. And they turned to prayer in every big event, and we should too. So mis uh, misconception number two, moving on, that we sometimes think about prayer is that prayer is a ceremony. Prayer is a ceremony. You know, a ceremony is a time when we, we do something in a certain way to commemorate a purpose or an idea. I think of if you go to Washington, D.C., there is a tomb there where they have buried the remains of some soldiers who we do not know the identity of. And those soldiers can be anybody that is missing. They represent all of the missing soldiers. And if you go to the tomb of the unknown soldier, they stand guard on it 24 hours a day every day of the year and have been doing that constantly. They do it through the middle of a hurricane. And they have this moment about every 30 minutes to two hours, depending on what time of the year you go, where they have a changing of the guard, where the new soldier comes out to replace the one who's on guard. It's this beautiful ceremony showing that they are changing from one person protecting the tomb of the unknown soldier to the other one. And that's an amazing thing to do. But I've often wondered, would they actually shoot you for running out there? They act like they would. They're scary. I don't know. Maybe they would. Sometimes we look at prayer kind of like that ceremony, like it should be done at a certain time and done in a certain way and it's for show to commemorate a purpose. But prayer is not a ceremony and never has been. 
the reason that we sometimes believe prayer is a ceremony is because that's the way it's been modeled for us. Sometimes we go to church and, and churches pray it multiple times and we pray with a lot of Christian platitudes. We say the same thing over and over again without really thinking about it. And so that's the reason we at Ramsey Hobson, we've, we've changed and we've tried to do a more corporate sense of prayer before our message time. Many of us grew up in Christian homes and, and maybe for us, all that was ever modeled for us in prayer was before the Thanksgiving meal, the family gathered around and they called on great uncle Harry who, who could barely talk. But all of a sudden when he prays, he starts using the these and thines and thous and, and this, this wording that never gets used in real life. And so what was modeled for us is prayer is a ceremony that we do only on special occasions. Many people are taught to pray in certain words to repeat the Lord's Prayer. Some denominations even have a book of prayers like a hymn book. When you want to pray, you open it up to page 28 and read that prayer to the sky. And it all seems fake. That is the exact opposite of biblical prayer. Biblical prayer does not call on us to do anything as a ceremony. Biblical prayer calls on us to pray in a, in a personal fashion. As a matter of fact, Jesus reprimanded people for praying in a ceremonial fashion. He reprimanded people for repeating the same words. It says, do not use vain repetitions. That means do not use useless repetitions. It's doing nothing. He literally taught against this. So the correction is, prayer is a personal conversation with God. When we pray, you don't have to use fancy words. You don't have to do it at certain times. You can pray at any time. You can talk to God at any time and have that conversation. He wants to hear for you. That's what biblical prayer models, is that we go to him at any given time. Uh, misconception number three is that prayer is only for times of crisis. And if I'm honest, I bet you that this is where I and a lot of people in this room get stuck. Many of you uh, have seen this on the news, or you may have actually been watching the game. Did you guys see the NFL player, DeMar Hamlin, that basically died on the field a few weeks ago? He was going in, he made a tackle, he makes the tackle, he stands up and he falls over, basically dead. They had to resuscitate him. And we saw this amazing thing, and praise God for this. There's something about the human heart in times of crisis says, I've got to cry out to something bigger than me. It's when NFL stadium full of people bowed their knees and began to pray for him. Sportscasters on ESPN prayed on the air. That's a wonderful thing for us to do. I'm so glad that there's still something in our country where people cry out to God in times of crisis. But here's the misconception. That's not the only time to pray. I would have loved if at the next football game they had said, hey, DeMar, he lived by the way, he's fine. He's doing really good. God answered our prayers. Let's start this football game with a prayer of praise for God answering our prayers. But you won't see that. Because what we believe, what we think, is prayer is only for times of crisis. It's only for times when, when we need something or something's going wrong. And I just want to say, if we're only praying as Christians in times of crisis, something is wrong. It's like having a car. If I went out and bought a new car today, you're like, Brian, that's a nice car. And then you see me the next week at church. Why, why didn't you drive that? Oh, we only drive that car when it's raining. What do you mean you only drive it when it's raining? Well, we've got it. It's in the garage. There's nothing wrong with it. But we choose to walk. I get up at 3.30 in the morning every morning and start walking to school. You would think I was insane because, yes, a car is wonderful for when it's raining, but a car is also wonderful for when you need to go to Dollar General to get more shredded cheese. It's also wonderful for a sunny day when you've got to drive 20 miles to work. You would think I was insane if I only drove a car when it was raining. So why would we only use prayer in times of crisis? 
is good for many other times. Is it good for crisis? Yes, it's 100% good for crisis, but it's just as good for everything else. And we waste prayer if we only use it for crisis. So our correction is prayer is a daily habit for all circumstances. The Bible tells us pray without ceasing. That means we have this ongoing spirit of prayer, of praise. When we have anxiety, we give it to God. Crisis too, when we need wisdom, we're constantly praying literally all day. Lenita stole my half of my sermon earlier today. No, I'm kidding. She referenced Brother Mike Ball, who used to be pastor here when I was growing up. And he talked uh, often about his, what he called his talking prayer. And I loved that. It was a prayer that never had an amen. It never had an end. Up until the day that he died, his talking prayer was continuing, where he just had a constant conversation with God. He sees something beautiful, and he would praise God for it. He, he sees something that needs help, and he would just pray for it. Never-ending conversation and connection with God. That's what the Bible calls us to do, is to pray to God in every circumstance. Now, I have to ask myself, based on, on the Scripture, is that what my prayer life looks like? Or does my prayer life look like I need something now? I'm in crisis. This is my daily prayer time. I've got to say it. Or am I constantly relying on prayer in my daily life? Misconception, misconception number five is that, I'm sorry, misconception number four is that prayer is like rubbing a genie lamp. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie Aladdin. All right. It's a great movie, isn't it? Cartoon, pretty good. Live action, not as good, but still really good. And if you've not seen it, then let me just remind you of it. What happens is there's this young boy, and he gets this magical lamp. And if you rub the lamp, a big uh, blue powerful genie pops out of the lamp, and he comes out, and he's been in this lamp for 10,000 years. He has all this power, and he's just been waiting to grant you three wishes. That's all he can do. And for many Christians, we, we look at prayer like that. Like God is this all-knowing being with all of this power, and he wants to use all that power to grant your wishes right now. And so our prayer lists begin to look like, or our prayers begin to look like a list of wishes. Listen, God designed you for a purpose. God was not sitting in heaven going, I have all this power, I have nothing to do with it. I wish there were people who would treat me like a servant. I should make some people who, who call me only when they need me. God designed you for relationship with him. His desire was not just for us to give him a wish list of things that we need, but for us to be a, in a relationship with him. And yes, part of that relationship is laying our burdens at his feet, but it's not all of the relationship. So our correction is part, our prayer is part of a deep relationship with God. August of this year, August 9th, I remembered, will be 10 years since my first date with Jessica. We've had a great decade, or nearly a decade of life together. And from time to time, as we're sitting on the couch, from time to time, she'll be like, I want ice cream. So guess what I do? I get off the couch and we put the baby in the car and we go get ice cream together. Like there's nothing wrong with it. That's part of our relationship. But that's a little bit different than another scenario. A few months ago, I got a text message from one of our youth group and it said, hey, old man, by the way, if you want me to do something for you, that's how you start a text message. Go get me some ice cream. You know what my, what my reply was? Go get your own ice cream. I'm not your delivery driver. What, what's the difference in those two things? Within my marriage and with my wife, part of my relationship with her is, yes, give me your request. I will make it happen. But I'm not somebody's delivery driver. There's a difference in that. And sometimes we treat God like a delivery driver without the relationship. God, I want these things. 
but we don't have the connection with him. Misconception number five, our last misconception, is prayer is a one-way communication. See, the Bible teaches us to pray in the Spirit. The Greek word there means by, uh, um, is translated by means of. So what, what the Scripture tells us is when you pray, you're not just praying of yourself. You're not just thinking of things you want to talk to God. That, that prayer is something that comes from you with the aid of the Holy Spirit. That, that prayer is something that works within you. See, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and it lives within us. It convicts us, it leads us, or He convicts us, He leads us, He comforts us. He will bring scriptures to your mind. That's why when you've been dealing with a hard situation, a scripture that you don't even remember reading pops into your mind. And the same thing can be true of our prayer life, is the Holy Spirit can lead us to pray. Um, I've shared a story before, I don't have his picture today, but there's a, there's a gentleman named Dave Rover that I've shared the story of before. And he was a Vietnam vet. He went into the Navy hoping that he would miss the fighting of Vietnam, yet he got put on one of the patrol boats going up and down uh, the river, and he was in combat often. And he had an incident one day where, uh, I'll spare you the whole details, a white phosphorus grenade exploded in his hand covering him with white phosphorus. Now, if you don't know what that is, white phosphorus burns extremely hot. It burns underwater. It literally melted his skin off. When they put him on a stretcher to try to get him to medevac, to try to get him taken care of, he burned through the stretcher and fell to the ground. He smoked for three days. He lived through this ordeal and has used his life to serve God and tell his story. But if you read his book that tells about his life, there's this amazing part where at the exact moment he's in Vietnam and this is happening to him, his parents are in the United States in the middle of the night, fast asleep, and the Holy Spirit wakes up his mom and says, pray for Dave now. And so his mom and his dad on the other side of the world with no way of knowing what's going on hit their knees because the Holy Spirit led them to pray for their son. I would credit that with why he lived through that ordeal and he shouldn't have. See, when we go in prayer to God, we don't just go to him and say, here's what I want to tell you. It is perfectly good to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to pray for? God, lead me. See, prayer is not just this, this shouting of the sky, what I want. Prayer is a conversation when we're doing it right. And conversation builds relationships. So our correction is, prayer is a two-way conversation. If you're praying right, it should feel like a conversation, not like a list of things I need to say to the sky. Because not only will the Holy Spirit lead you, the Holy Spirit will answer you. I love going to God. I did this last night, dealing with some things, some things I was stressed out and worried about. Like, God, what do I do? And I just kept praying, God, do you want me to do this or do you want me to do this? And, and over time, the Holy Spirit just started to tell me, that, like, this is the direction you need to go with this. This is how you handle this. Prayer should feel more like I'm talking to a friend than like I'm just talking out loud. See, real prayer is modeled in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that, by Jesus. You've probably heard this called the Lord's Prayer. You know it, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, all that. And we memorize it and we say it, which I think is, is so ludicrous. In the Bible says that we are sheep in need of a shepherd. You know why it says we're sheep? Because sheep are dumb. And literally two verses before this, Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray in vain repetitions. He said, pray instead like this. And what do we do? We take this prayer that he gives us and we start praying it in vain repetitions. That shows you what it means when he says we are sheep. 
And so he's giving us this prayer, not as something to be considered holier than everything else, not as a Lord's prayer. He's giving us a prayer as a model or a lesson so that we can learn how to pray how we should. So if you've got your Bibles, read with me here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus speaking. He says, After this manner, therefore pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Hold your Bibles up and we're going to come back to there. My favorite part of this prayer is how it begins. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And he starts off and he says, Father, our Father. I love that. It's one of the things that loses a little bit in translation. Because if, if I was in America and I started talking about my father today and I used that language, we'd probably think I didn't have a good relationship with him. But in the original language that Jesus is speaking here, that word is Abba. It's the equivalent today of Daddy. I've heard people begin prayers with Daddy God, and I'm not going to say it's wrong, but it's just I don't like it. It's weird, but I can't say that it's wrong. But that's what Jesus is saying. It's a term of close relationship, just like my little girl comes to me and she calls me Daddy. That's how, that's how we are to go to God. Prayer is relational. And once we begin the prayer with relational, we begin to recognize, recognize the structure of the relationship. Because every relationship has different structure. My relationship with you is different than my relationship with my wife, different than my relationship with my parents, different than my relationship with my daughter. There are different dynamics to each of those um, relationships. So when we go to God and we begin to pray, the next step of praying is to put into context what is the structure of our relationship. And so Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed just simply means to be kept holy. Let your name be kept holy. See, it's a prayer of recognition of who God is. We're personal with God, but we still acknowledge you are holy. So when I begin my prayer, I go to God, hey, let's just get this straight. As I'm praying, as I'm talking to you, you are here and I'm still down here. God, you are so holy. You are greater than me. You are amazing. And I'm just me. But I still get to call you daddy. I still get to see you as my father. And with that structure defined, we then define the goals of our relationship. Listen to what Jesus says. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Based on our relationship that is personal like a father and son. Based on the fact that you are holy and I am not. The goal of our relationship, God, is for me to serve you. See, it's a form of and an action of praise that we begin our prayer with. So your next take-home truth, if you're keeping track of these, is every good prayer includes praise. Every good prayer includes praise. Jesus continues here, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So we recognize the power of our God. We recognize the structure of our relationship with Him. And then we respond to that power. I know, God, who you are. I know, God, who I am. So here's how that applies in daily life. We begin to approach him with humility. And we look at the mirror and say, well, if God's that great, who am I? And what we realize about God is he's in control of everything. Even, even our daily bread. Even the things we need on a daily basis. And so with this, this sense of praise in my heart, I get to go to God and go, you know, God, I was telling everybody earlier about how I got a promotion because I worked really hard and I earned that promotion. But God, in truth, I'm provided for because you provide for me. I'm provided for because you love me. God, you are the one in control of all of this. 
And I recognize you as the provider. So next take home truth, every good prayer recognizes that God can and will provide. If we recognize that God does provide, then that's when we ask. God, if you're the one who's in control of that, I want to ask you to do that for me. So every good prayer recognizes that. Read with me verse 12, Jesus' model prayer here. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When, when Jesus begins to talk about debts here, debts here, he's not talking about money. He's talking about spiritual debts, and he's equating it to money. You know, a debt is something that you have done, something you've taken out alone, and you owe to somebody else. And so Jesus acknowledges in this prayer, he teaches us to acknowledge that we are in debt to God, that there's something in our life that we have done against him that we owe him repayment for. In, in layman's terms, we say that word as sin. When we pray, we acknowledge God, there is sin in my life. There, there is something wrong with me. This is a charge that I owe. But we also acknowledge this. I can't pay that charge. Every person in this room has a sin debt to God. I don't care how good you've been. I don't care how great of a wife or a husband you think you are. I don't care how many people like you. We're all in debt to God with the way that we've lived and the way that we've rejected him. And so we have the ability to go to God and say, God, I can't pay this, but will you forgive it? Will you forget that it even happened? And we can only do that because somebody offered to pay it for us. That Jesus Christ came and he did the work on the cross to pay for that. And when we get saved, the only prayer that God really wants to hear from somebody who has not accepted him as Savior is for us to come to him and ask, God, will you forgive me of my sins? Forgive me of these debts that I owe. God, I know I can't pay them. That is the prayer of salvation. And some people ask sometimes, well, Brian, if we're already saved, why do we still have to ask for our sins to be forgiven? Because when you get saved, listen very carefully, when you get saved, your sins from the past are forgiven, your sins from now are forgiven, and your sins from the future are forgiven. They're all gone forever and ever. So why would we still ask for forgiveness? Because it's an acknowledgement that in my state, I still need God's forgiveness. I still need to be saved today, just like I did yesterday. Even though I own salvation, I still need God to work that salvation out in me. We call this oftentimes repentance. And it means that I'm aware that I've committed sin. I've identified the cost of that sin, and I confess that to God. But, th but then Jesus goes forward, and I love this, when he says, forgive us of our debts. He adds an extra part to it. As we forgive others. I want to be very clear. You cannot earn forgiveness. You will never earn God's forgiveness. It's not possible. If you could earn his forgiveness, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. But there's something interesting about when we humble our hearts enough to see the sin in my life and that I need a savior is it causes action to come from that. It causes us to also see that we need to change. So there's a lesson on repentance today is that repentance is not simply words. That repentance is words that will lead to actions. And today, somebody in here needs to hear this. Forget everything else I've said. What you need to be worried about today is coming to Christ and asking him to be your savior. That is the only thing that Jesus wants to hear from you right now. And after that, we can work on how you pray or how often you pray. But right now, God is calling you, and I know he is. He's calling you, and he's saying, I want you to ask for forgiveness. I will give it to you freely if you will only ask. See, when our hearts believe that sin kills and Jesus saves, we will choose Jesus over sin. 
So every good prayer, next take home truth, expresses repentance. Read with me one more time. And lead us not into temptation, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love the way that Jesus ends this, and I'm trying to grow in ending my prayers this way. I love that Jesus ends this prayer, for thine is the kingdom, for yours is the kingdom. It's this declaration of allegiance in my life. Like, God, I could build my own kingdom. I could make this world all about me. But no, 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 God. God, this world is all about you. And I am your humble servant. You deserve to be served. You deserve for your kingdom to come about because it is so good. And we acknowledge to God, God, you have the right to make decisions. We call this yielding. I give up my right to govern my life or to govern anything because I choose for you to do it instead. So every good prayer, last take home truth, declares his kingdom over ours. There's a lot to remember there. Here's how I remember it. If you want to remember the basic components of Jesus' model prayer and how he calls us to pray, just remember the acronym PRAY. P, begin with praise. R, repentance. A, ask. Y, yield. When I pray, I work through that exact format in trying to hold with praying as God has called us to do. So I want to end today, Brother Danny, if you want to start to make your way up here, I want to end today and I want to ask you, what does your prayer life look like? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I would say this, your prayer life needs to be daily. It needs to be multiple times daily because it is a tool that God has given us and it is a blessing. This is not a guilt trip about what you should be doing. This is what you are missing out on. God wants us to connect with him. The creator of the universe wants to hear about your day. And we can act in that. So I just want to encourage you today to look at your life and say, where can I pray more? I started this last year. I told you last week I began Bible study when I get to school in the morning. It's the first thing I do. I lied. It's the second thing I do. The first thing I do is I pray for my job and my school and for safety. It doesn't have to be when you do it, but I've learned that that's one of the best times of the day to get my heart right before I enter into a dark and dirty world. I'm just going to encourage you to find those same times for you at bedtime, at lunch, when you get to work. Begin praying with people when you meet them. I have family members who you will never leave their house without them saying, let's pray before you go. I just want to encourage you to pray more. And probably most importantly this morning, you're sitting here this morning and you cannot pray the way that I've taught this morning. Because the Bible says pray in the Spirit. And you don't get the Spirit until you're saved. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to engage in prayer like I'm talking about, but I want you to start this morning with going to God and praying that prayer of repentance and forgiveness and accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today is the day. Today is the day for you to become one of His children. Let's stand and worship.